This was indeed a powerful quake that rocked people in the middle of the night. They say they felt it last for about 30 seconds. Japan is used to extreme weather, but Typhoon Jebi is the strongest in 25 years. Naomi Osaka, she's now the first Japanese player ever, man or woman, to win a Grand Slam. Hello, welcome to Japan in Focus. I'm Eleni Salters. The Japanese city of Osaka has ended its sister city relationship with the U.S. city of San Francisco over the display of a statue depicting comfort women. These were women used as sex slaves by the Japanese military during World War II. It's estimated that about 200,000 women were kept in military brothels. Osaka Mayor Hirofumi Yoshimura says the monument has destroyed the relationship of trust between the two cities. The work, entitled Women's Column of Strength, depicts three young women from Korea, China and the Philippines standing in a circle holding hands. Lillian Singh was a judge of the San Francisco County Superior Court and was one of the women behind the city's memorial project. I spoke to her earlier this year about the statue. We have a very large Asian-American population, so we are very aware of World War II history in Asia. And when you talk about World War history in Asia, you learn about Japan's atrocities in Asia. And a lot of what happened in Asia are directly felt by the citizens of San Francisco who have ancestors from China, from Korea, from Indonesia, and from other Asian countries who were victims of Japan's atrocities during the war, World War II, especially the rape of Nanjing. I myself was born in Shanghai, and Shanghai is very close to Nanjing. In fact, Nanjing was the capital of Shanghai at that time. And I learned about the atrocities of Nanjing from my parents and uh, never really knew what I could do about it. It was just something, you know, in your soul. And when I became a judge, I was, of course, fighting for justice during my career as a judge. I learned more and more about what happened in terms of Japan's atrocities. And the most uh, difficult part for me was that justice has not been fulfilled. And what's been the San Francisco community's reaction to the memorial? I mean, as you mentioned before, it's a very diverse community. 30% are Asian background. Very, very good. In fact, the Japanese-American citizens in San Francisco are 90% in support of us. They actually helped us write the inscription on the memorial because inscription is very important. Inscription tells what happened. And they help us craft the language of the inscription to describe the memorial. And each word was carefully selected. And it was not easy. We had a lot of meetings with the communities. And we finally came up with the three sentences and was crafted by a Japanese-American attorney working closely with us. We have very little opposition from the citizens of San Francisco. Of course, there are a few, a handful, I would say maybe five, and of course, the big elephant in the room, Japan government. You might have heard about the recent diplomatic stash between Tokyo and Seoul for three months over the comfort women statues in South Korea. Is Japan justified in opposing these, these statues? Shinzo Abe and the previous South Korean leader, uh, President Park, had reached an agreement that the issue was finally and irreversibly resolved. Well, it was not 
finally resolved because it imposed a gag order on the country of South Korea. Part of the agreement required that South Korea never, ever talk about this again. This agreement wants to whitewash the history and wants to do exactly what Abe government is doing, which is to rewrite history. It's impossible because, one, the comfort women themselves were not at the table. They were not part of the agreement. In a court of law, when the victims do not agree to agreement or to, to a resolution, there's no resolution. However, even if there were such agreement between Japan and South Korea that, quote, unquote, is valid, what about China? What about the other countries? Did you know that China had more comfort women than Korea? You know what? Japan is waiting for all the comfort women to die. You know, in China, we had over 200,000 comfort women alone in China. Today, we have only less than 22. In Korea, there was 160,000. There are only 32 left. I think Japan's waiting for all these victims to die. It could be argued, though, that there was the Kono statement recognizing these women and Japan has been compensating oh, yes. survivors. So what more could they do? What are you suggesting? I mean, I wonder if this is the case for any losing side in a war. Um, how, how many times must they say sorry? They have never said sorry. I would like to hear them say once, just one time, a sincere legal apology adopted by the Diet of Japan, which is the formal parliamentary body of Japan. The Kono Statement was not adopted by the Diet. In fact, Prime Minister Abe is not agreeing with the Kono Statement. The Kono Statement at least indicated that after it's investigated a great deal, that Japan did institute comfort women stations and did capture women and girls and even boys, although it was done in the Kono Statement, to be sex slaves to the imperial Japanese soldiers. Now, the Kono Statement was made in the 50s. It was never adopted by the Diet. Now, instead of moving forward from the Kono Statement, they're going backwards. Now, you said, how many more times does Japan need to apologize? Well, one, one time would be very nice if they just do it sincerely and legally, apology adopted by the country, which means not just a statement by prime minister, uh, but a statement adopted by the diet. Former judge of the San Francisco County Superior Court, Lillian Singh there. And you're listening to Japan in Focus on ABC News Radio. The Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has been rolling out various policies in a bid to combat the country's low birth rate. But despite his efforts, Japan continues to break records. Officials confirmed earlier this year that the number of children in Japan fell for the 37th consecutive year, and Japan's general population is expected to plummet from 127 million to 88 million by 2065. But the figures don't tell the entire story. As David McNeil, who is a Tokyo-based journalist for The Economist, explains, women are still keen to have children, but many are resorting to fertility clinics with little success. The best estimates are that there are more than 600 clinics or hospitals offering IVF treatment. And to give you some idea of how many that is, it's several times, three or four times more than the UK. And it's, it's more than America even. And America, of course, has more than twice the population of Japan. It's enormous. It's growing. It's also fairly unregulated. Uh, you don't need a license to set up uh, an IVF practice. So a lot of doctors are doing it 
because, of course, it's quite lucrative. Right. So you could be a qualified doctor, but this is not your specialty. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, and you don't need permission from the government. Wow. So why are so many women resorting to IVF? What's going on in Japan? Well, there's several things, but I think the, the main one is that more older women are trying to have children. Uh, more women in Japan in their 40s are trying to have children than, say, twice as many, actually, uh, as women in the UK or France, for example. And behind that lies all kinds of kind of social issues, but the main one would be that there are far more women now in Japan working than ever before, and they're postponing marriage and childbirth. And one of the sort of anomalies in Japan, if you like, is that uh, unlike the societies where, you know, you or I grew up, there's very, very few uh, what we call illegitimate babies or babies born outside marriage. It's still considered taboo. So you have to be married, if you like. Socially, you have to be married to have a child. So the upshot is that women are trying to have children in their late 30s or 40s. And as we both know, that becomes more difficult uh, for them. And, of course, they're delaying uh, getting pregnant as well because in the workforce the long hours are just not sustainable and there is that fear once uh, you do become a mother you can't juggle both and, and hence the delay there as well. Well, exactly. Um, Japan is just not geared up for working mothers. It's trying, but it isn't uh, very well equipped to deal with it. Uh, women are expected to work very long hours like everybody else. And there's lots of cases of maternity harassment, people who get pregnant and then they're forced out of the out of the workplace. Yeah, there's even a Japanese word for it, matahara, maternity harassment. And, maternity harassment. Yeah. yeah, and when you consider Japan's shrinking and ageing population, is IVF covered by health care? Are there really any subsidies for women going down this road? Well, no, it, there are subsidies, but it's not covered by the healthcare system. And this, of course, is an issue. If you talk to people who campaign for the rights of women and on IVF issues, they're very unhappy that it's not part of the healthcare system. And you can kind of see the, the government's position because they're struggling with rising social costs, some, you know, the, the aging population being the, the main one. But at the other end of the sort of, you know, the population pyramid, if you like, you have all these people who are able, unable to give childbirth. So they've come up with this unhappy compromise, which is to just subsidize at the local government level the cost of IVF. Now, the problem there is that, uh, first of all, the subsidies are obviously capped, uh, so they don't cover the entire cost. You only have a set number of attempts. It's something like five or six. And also the age of the people who can try it is capped. So if you're, over, if you're 43 or over and you're a woman, you don't no longer get these subsidies. So again, if you talk to people who campaign on this issue, NGOs and so on, they have all these heartbreaking cases of uh, women who have been trying for years, up to 10 years in some cases, and who've, who've cycled through their, through their entire savings to try and get pregnant. So generally speaking, what is the success rate? Well, um, I talked to one expert who's setting up his own uh, clinic, who's very unhappy with the way that IVF is done in Japan. He thinks that it's, uh, it's all over the place. And he says it's less than 10%. And he says it's falling. Wait, so less than 10%? Yes, so less than 10% of the people who try IVF treatment in wow. Japan are successful, which is a, uh, which is a very low rate, and, and it's falling. You know, um, And one of the reasons he says is because the clinics aren't straight with uh, some of these women who are coming for treatment. They're, they should be saying to them, you need 
more powerful drugs, you know, your body becomes less able to have children as it gets older. And they're not saying that. And there's a, there's a sort of a general fear, if you like, of the side effects of powerful drugs in Japan. So for whatever reason, you have uh, people who are going for this treatment in many cases not being successful and uh, using their money up. And what about donors and surrogates? How accessible are these options? Well, they're, they're illegal, I should say, in general. So uh, if you want to have a donor or a surrogate, then you must go abroad. And this is another, this is another of the issues which people uh, are unhappy about. They say that Japan needs a proper law uh, sort of dealing with all these issues, that they should allow surrogates, they should allow uh, donors. There's a, a number of famous people, the most famous, I suppose, being Seiko Noda, who's a politician. Uh, she was trying for years and was very upfront about her struggles to have a child, wrote a book about it and so on, and eventually she uh, she uh, went abroad for a, for a donor. David, every year it seems Japan breaks a new record in terms of the birth rates are constantly getting lower. What needs to change? You know, if you look at, the, uh, for example, what's happening at the moment, Japan's prime minister in 2013 said that we have to hold the birth rate at uh, 1.8 or get it up to 1.8. At the moment, it's about 1.4. Now, for that to happen, you would need what I think is virtually a revolution in corporate Japan. You would have to allow women much more flexible work. You would have to stop maternity harassment. You would have to allow them, men and women, to have far shorter working hours. And I don't see that happening. And we have to also be quite careful because Japan's birth rate is not that different to many other parts of the the developed world. You know, if you look at the statistics for, you know, Italy, for example, South Korea, other parts of the OECD, the statistics for birth rate are also quite low. Where Japan is unique or very unusual is that it doesn't have any immigration uh, or very little immigration. Uh, And therefore, you know, the prime minister, for example, said we're going to stop the birth rate falling below 100 million. It's currently 127 million. So he's virtually accepting that the population is going to fall by a third. You know, that's what that is. It's an acknowledgement. And what needs to be done, I think, apart from anything else, is you need to allow women far more time to raise their children. You need to allow more men to go home and help women look after them. And even with that, it's doubtful if you could get the birth rate up to a point where it would recover. So just to finish the point, you know, I think what what makes Japan very interesting is it's that sort of vanguard, if you like, of what the rest of the world, the developed world, will have to do. Birth rates are falling everywhere. Immigration won't continue forever. So Japan will have to downsize, and that's a lesson, I think, that the rest of the world will have to watch very closely. Tokyo-based journalist for The Economist, David McNeil there. And that's all for Japan in Focus for this week. Jamatane. See you next time.